You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G, the more the merrier. And coming up on today's show, the last of my Toronto International Film Festival interviews, you'll be hearing from Hiam Abbas and her daughter, Lina Sualem, who directed the film, the documentary about her very famous mother. But it's a personal documentary this time about Hiam and her Palestinian family. After that, you'll hear from Sara Suma about the brother-sister film, Arthur and Diana. And that's coming up later on in the show. Her brother, Robin, is part of the show, as is her son, Lupo. But let's have a bit of music first. This is Who I Am. That's the name of the track, and it's by Zenobia Salik. You're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G on CIUT 89.5 FM.
I've long been a fan of Hiam Abbas, the Palestinian actress. I've started noticing her in a film called Satin Rouge. And then I saw her in The Syrian Bride, Munich, The Visitor, The Lemon Tree, Blade Runner 2049, and TIFF's 2020, my favorite, Gaza Mon Amour. Many of you will be familiar with Hiam through her recent work in the HBO series Succession. The following interview is with her daughter, Lina Sualem, and Hiam discussing Hiam's past in Palestine and why she left, and also the four generations of women that are so important to director Lina. Here now is Hiam Abbas and Lina Sualem with Bye Bye Tiberius, which screened at the Toronto International Film Festival. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G at the Toronto International Film Festival with Hiam Abbas and Lina Sualem. And we're talking about the documentary Bye Bye Tiberius, which is screening at this year's festival. Hiam, welcome to CIUT. Thank you. Thank you very much. Lena, welcome to CIUT. Thank you for having me. Lena, you are the director of this very personal film about your mother. Uh, what made you decide you wanted to make a film about her? Um, I wouldn't say it's a film about her rather than a film about four generations of Palestinian women and the story of transmission between four generations. So my mother, Hiam, is part of this line of transmission. And uh, for me, it was very important to highlight the stories of the women of my family um, who have struggled to influence the world around them and to become uh, women that uh, could make their own choices uh, despite dispossession, exile, and displacement. So for me, it was important to give them a voice and uh, make their story exist beyond our personal uh, memory. He, um, what made you say yes to this film? It's very personal. It is very personal. In fact, the, um, the hysteric uh, side of uh, this idea came from from a place where some a producer, like uh, the producer of the movie Jean-Marie Nizon, had asked me to have like to think about a project that would uh, relate um, me to Palestine in a way and. I really started like thinking that what could I say and Lena at that time was just finishing her first uh, documentary about her paternal grandparents and uh, I thought it would be very interesting if she gets involved because I f it just like it made me feel that she would be more right to really have that kind of exterior um, look on this uh, the journey of of women in the in the family than me myself being so involved in it so and this is how it it was born really so she I didn't even have the time to say yes or no I was already part of it and I think she didn't have almost the choice to say yes or no because she was drawn in it and this is how it happened what was the first day of filming like it was very hard <laughs> it was very hard because um, it's not easy to film uh, your own mother 
Um, the first film, I filmed my Algerian paternal grandparents who divorced at eight years old after 60 years of marriage. And so it was easier for me to film them because I was the granddaughter and I had a bit of distance. But with my mother, it was more difficult because we still have the mother-daughter relationship. So it was hard to uh, install a director uh, character relationship and at the same time for my mother it wasn't easy to talk about her intimate uh, life so I was trying to make her understand that it's not intimacy that is interesting for me it's more about journey and path so I w it's not a I, I didn't want to have a voyeur side it was really about highlighting the important moments of her life and the life of the woman so it took quite a while to find the, the balance to not be only the daughter, but also the director, and be able to put her at ease, and me being at ease also. What was the first frame that you shot? Um, the first frame was uh, filming my mother in her home in Paris, talking about uh, her choice to to leave the village, and uh, and actually the first thing that I asked her is, what objects do you still have uh, from there? Because I think that uh, when you leave you carry some things with you? So that was the first question that I had asked her. What was it like reflecting on those objects that you had brought with you? Um, it was like always going, like all going back into the past and digging in something that you buried somehow. You know, it's just really that sort of feeling. I mean, specifically that the objects were pictures and were like uh, uh, copy books that are torn apart almost of poetry that I wrote when I was very young. So it was, um, yeah, as I said, it, was, it wasn't it was an easy thing. It just was surprising as well to discover, you know, so because these are things I have not really kind of watched or read for so many years that it was just like incredible to see them again through the eyes of Lena and not my on eyes because it wasn't just like as by the way I'm just like finding something you know that I just had written and I just read it to myself no it was I find something because someone is asking me to find it and someone is asking me to go through it and someone is asking me to open up to them concerning what is in there that I buried since years so uh, I don't know if it's an easy feeling but it was it was a really very interesting emotional journey as well to go back to that past I have some things that I wrote when I was a teenager, and I look back and I think, oh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I continue writing? Yeah. Um, when you revisited your poetry, what did you think of it? I think I really, as I said, it wasn't. A, I wasn't thinking myself, because it's not like a moment where I personally opened the books to kind of reflect on them. It was just like I opened these books, and Lena was reflecting on them. So it was much more interesting, and I was almost as if in my mind I didn't have time to think or to judge them again. It's just to see, as as waiting to see her reaction, right? Which was really incredible because, like, I think through these words and through these things, Lena could talk better than me about how she felt, and it's interesting to hear her thoughts on how she felt about about this poetry suddenly. What did you think of the poetry, to see these words written by your mother when she was younger and now you rediscovering them? I was very, uh, it was really fascinating because she wrote 
from age 12 to 19. So it was really strong for me to imagine her at this age writing in a corner of the room while her brothers and sisters were asleep at night <laughs> and she would uh, take a small lamp and write this as a form of escapism to her reality. And it was very moving because, you know, when you're your daughter, you only know your mother as a mother and you don't think of your mother as a woman or a child. So for me, it was as if I was discovering another, another side of her. And it was stronger to discover it through her words at the time rather than her telling me how she felt. So I, it was really, really fascinating for me. You had to go through some memories as your family being displaced. And it must be so horrendous. For me, I can think of, okay, a school I went to is no longer there. But for you, it's like, uh, and for your your mother, it's like the village, the town where she grew up is no longer there. So what was it like for you thinking about your mother's journey? Um, you know, this is like part of my heritage, really. So it's not like... Um, it's not like a discovery, right? It's it's something I that vehicled all the time uh, through our evenings, our talks, especially when my mother and her mother would be around, and we they would talk, and I would question them about a lot of things, specifically my grandmother, because she's really the one that I think suffered much more the the di- displacement. The um, my mother too, but like my grandmother in a big part because suddenly she had the responsibility of a whole family on her shoulders without home. The thing is, like, this displacement didn't, like, the the place they came from didn't, uh, wasn't demolished. It was there. They had no access to it, which is much harder, right? Uh, And I think, I think this is where I suddenly, like, feel the injustice that they had, uh, that they had lived and that they had uh, to go through. And, but honestly, like, again, um, see the journeys of these women, the two that Lena talks about before me, like my mom and my grandma, uh, makes me, made me always, like, wonder how I could be as a human being uh, at that level of tolerance and at that level of, of, of uh, being able to keep being strong in order to achieve and fulfill and survive the difficulties that you could go through, right? And it's a big lesson. It's really a big human lesson in a way, you know, to be able to take this story, to take this heritage, to take these sto- like to to take these journeys and turn them into a motivation to keep going and keep going and keep going, you know, so that you would just like almost become stronger than life itself. Alina, when you think about your life today in contrast to uh, your mother's life and uh, grandma and her grandmother, the women that came before you, um, do you, how do you see yourself in their journey? I think uh, for me, uh, I couldn't compare, you know, my life to theirs because. I was born in France, Um, I didn't suffer from displacement, I was very privileged compared to them and I always wondered how would I have been able to go through everything that they went through 
And uh, for me, my mission, I feel, is to transmit their story because despite everything they went through, they've been able to maintain their legacy alive and to pass it on, to maintain love and, and transmission and care despite all the violence that they went through. And so for me, I felt like the, 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 the minimum I could do was at least to collect their story and transmit it again so that they keep on existing uh, despite the fact that our story is uh, marginalized and invisible. So when it's hard, I always think of that, like the hardships that I face while making the film is nothing compared to what they have faced. So it gives me courage to, to continue thinking of what they've been able to accomplish despite everything. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's some funny moments in the film uh, when you talk about how small the room was and you said to your parents, how did we were all sleeping on the floor. How did you manage to have so many kids? <laughs> right, yeah. You know, this is one of the things that really we carried uh, on doing in my family. It's laughter was something that was very important and uh, maybe I would say the survivor, the surviving process I, or even like the process of life itself. Humor was something that really always existed and I think this is something that fascinated Lena as well, like in the connection between me and my sisters. There's always really like so many laughter and so many like uh, happy moments that we share despite the difficulties, whether it's like, and I, 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 I feel this often with like my, my friends from Palestine, my colleagues, directors from Palestine as well, like whenever we want to say things about how harsh it is, we just like end up joking really in order maybe just to accept like the harshness of it or whatever it is it's just the humor ease it ease it on everybody and makes it like even like more maybe um like you easier to overcome so humor yeah just like humor occupied a big big space in my family your sister's hilarious <laughs> she's the one who said oh i should have been an actress too <laughs> yeah uh lena did the humor of uh, your aunt uh, surprise you, or was it something that you've grown up with? I know you you live in mm -hmm. France. No, I've I've spent uh, my whole childhood visiting them. So this is what I love about them when they are all united together and they uh, they joke and they make fun of each other. And it's it's uh, it's so, something I really wanted to capture. And it was quite easy because I just had to make them sit around the table together, and they just started. You know, like there's this scene where I just say hello, and even the hello back is already a joke. So it's it's, and this is what fascinates me about them because they all have difficult uh, experiences too, but they still uh, keep on laughing, and they gave me access to their stories, which I was very touched. I appreciated this film very much. Um, one, because Hiam is uh, such a, a great actress, so I was automatically interested in the story, but also to see the future of Hiam in you, Lena, um, made this film interesting to me, and also because of the women in my family, and I think people will connect with that. Not, all, not just Hiam, the movie star, but Hiam, uh, the woman. And her, and her family of women. So thank you very much for that. Thank you. Thank you.
KCIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. Stream us anytime at www.ciut.fm. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G. Started the show with the Toronto International Film Festival Focus, and there is another one coming up. The first film that um, I talked about, the interview that you heard, was with Hiam Abbas, directed by her daughter Lina Swalem, and uh, Lina is French-Palestinian, Hiam is Palestinian, and I hope you enjoyed the aspect of Lena focusing on her mother as her mom, not the famous actress, and the journey of the past and documenting the female side of the fam- family. And I love the balance that she strikes between daughter and mother and the film Bye Bye Tiberius, a documentary. So watch out for that. Musically, I started the show with This Is Who I Am by Zenobia Salik. And then you heard from Sonia Aime, Light My Way Mother. And followed that up with Yippee by Zap Mama. Up next is the other Toronto International Film Festival interview that I promised you. And this is by Sara Suma. And her film is called Arthur and Diana. And it is a road trip between brother and sister. And fascinating because they actually are in real life brother and sister. Here now is that interview with Sarasuma. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G at the Sheraton Hotel and my guest is Sarasuma to talk about her film Arthur and Diana. Welcome to Toronto. Welcome to my radio station CIUT. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> So this film stars you and your real-life brother, um, Arthur and Diana. Where did the impetus come to make this film? Uh, that's a good question. Um, ha, ha, ha. Well, I'm a very, I'm quite a visual filmmaker, and so films always start uh, for me with an image that sort of. Um, forms in my head and starts nagging at me and saying look at me look at me and um, take me seriously I want to be a movie Um, and this image in this case was uh, in fact my brother and and myself Um, sort of in a very dynamic situation movement I don't know it was like a blurry ish image we were moving and I could sense that it was sort of uh, it was sort of it's a sublimation of ourselves. It wasn't us, but it looked like us, but it was characters already. It was very colorful. There was a lot of life in this image already, and I had to sort of dig further and uh, and try to figure out what this meant and what this could be. But it somehow inspired me to write a film because um, if, yeah, there was a deadline coming up a few weeks later um, for to apply for a tiny little bit of funding, and I thought, okay, let's just do this. Let's just get moving and and grasp this uh, this dynamic image and and throw it into I don't know 
in a space and time and make a film out of it. And I wrote this uh, treatment for the film in those two weeks that led up to that deadline. Um, and we got the funding, and then we had to go. <laughs> so you wrote it with your brother in mind, or was there going to be another actor no, playing no, no. That your was brother? That was always the idea. I mean, the, the concept of the film is to have these real people in their real life interaction, I mean, relationships, you know, brother, sister, I mean, real siblings, so my brother and myself for real, um, and my son, my two-year-old, um, and throw these people, so us, into this purely fictional um, context and setup and story. Uh, so it's not autobiographical, it is auto-fictional, so it's about this sort of weird performance, weird experiment of putting us in our real constellation of, you know, siblings relationship and mother-son relationship in front of a camera and making characters out of these people and seeing what can happen there. Where did the names come from? Um, they happened to be our names. My name is Sara Diana Vera Luce Silvana Summa. And Robin is called Robin Arturo Ludovico Elio Summa. Um, so <laughs> we are also Arthur and Diana somewhere there. Okay. <laughs> now I understand. And you mentioned Lupo. Yes. Lupo is Lupo. Lupo is called Lupo Piero Summa. And his character was going to be called Piero. Except uh, he's a two-year-old, or at least he was. And a two-year-old referring to himself um, as Lupo. Uh, he would never say I back then. Uh, he didn't have that notion yet. Mm -hmm. And so he, and I couldn't tell my two-year-old, okay, now you're going to call yourself Piero. Um, so soon enough I had to realize that he would be called Lupo in the film. But yeah, these are our, there are alter egos somehow, you know. Okay. So tell my listeners uh, what this film is about. It's about uh, childhood. <laughs> it's about uh, past and future and present. It's about family. Um, it's a road trip, trans-European road trip between Berlin, France, and Italy. Um, it's the places that somehow connect us and separate us at the same time. It's about siblings' relationships. It's about yeah, the space between people. And uh, it's also about freedom. <laughs> and what's the purpose of the journey? Uh, it's like the purpose of life. Is there really any purpose? But also that's all we have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, like like in life itself, you know, there are conflicts that you try to, to, to solve or to understand always better and at the same time yeah like in life itself you can't I mean you're never going to solve these conflicts or these neuroses they're always going to be there and accompany you and just be part of who you are and they're going to define your relationships and uh, all you can do is just to maybe come to terms with the fact that this is how things stand and to just embrace um the imperfections <laughs> of uh, being human and uh, the experience of being alive together. And so, yeah, it's just uh, these siblings stuck in a car together for <laughs> for the time of this trip, which has sort of a fake purpose, namely um, this... Um, you don't have to say. Yeah. As you said, it's a journey. It's a journey. <laughs> it's a journey. So how would you... Um, compare and contrast uh, Arthur and Diana? 
so that my listeners have an idea. Between the two of them, you mean? Yeah. The difference between describe, the two characters? Describe, describe Arthur. Describe Arthur, huh? Um, Arthur is... Ah, uh, he's a bit of a bohemian, um, sort of, um, young, slightly confused, but also a bit, um, maybe a bit, uh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> he's, uh, he's confused, but also confident at the same time. Um, he's quite charismatic in his weaknesses, I guess. Um, He's a funny character. He's uh, he needs a lot of coffee to function, and uh, <laughs> he he can be quite laid back and relaxed. But actually, there's a sort of existential, I guess, um, crisis always brooding in him. Um, yeah, that's well stated. Well stated, because <laughs> I, I saw everything in what you just said. And uh, Diana, tell me about Diana. your character. Oh, Diana. Um, she loves food. She likes to eat a lot of weird stuff all the time. She likes candy. She likes candy, but she also eats things like, um, you know, sardines out of a can for breakfast. Um, <laughs> um, she's just, um, she's quite a, an intense character, I guess. A bit, I mean, she has this very pragmatic side to her. Um, she wants to get things done. She's just, you know, she's a mother. She she has a lot going on and a lot of things to take care of. And she has this sort of constant latent tension. Um, she's a bit angry at the world, but really she loves the world. Um, and that's why she's angry. <laughs> well, why did you decide to include your own two-year-old son in the movie? Well, um, you know, he has been a huge, if not the biggest part of my life ever since he arrived. And uh, making a film is such an overwhelming experience and you end up sort of, you know, being almost disconnected from the rest of your life for the time of a project. And uh, at that point in my life, I just couldn't do anything without including my baby. Um, in it because that's just what my life was like and uh, I think this film would not have been without Nupo. It's also what makes the film I think uh, something maybe special amongst other things hopefully but it's also just like I would not have made the film had I not been able to make it with Nupo as well. He's also a fascinating character. He's a, a very good supporting actor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's like a, um, I was surprised when you told me that um, I thought it, Lupo was played by twins originally, <laughs> and then I kept looking because sometimes when they have twins, you can always spot a difference. But I kept thinking it's the same kid. <laughs> How's he? He's in so many scenes. Thank goodness I do not have twins. <laughs> I'm sorry, like for all the twins out there, I'm sure it's great. But uh, no, I actually, you know, my dad has a twin brother and. Uh, Lupo could have had a twin, yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't know. Uh, it's just him, um, and he's a ball of energy. Uh, so he had enough energy to to, to be <laughs> to to be the kid, the only kid in this film. And uh, he had a lot of shooting days, indeed. And he just uh, loved it, actually. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a special experience. I mean, at the same time, he was very conscious of the fact that he was involved in this sort of big 
thing that was happening all around him and he was working he said I want to go to work every morning you know and was uh, always asking me am I wearing my costume right now or is this are these my clothes um, he was trying to sort of you know figure it out and 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 but um but then when he was in the moment in front of the camera he would forget all about it and he would just be him like a two-year-old is you know they're here and there and i mean here and now and just being and uh so it was then a very sort of very spontaneous natural experience for him to just be with his mother and his uncle and just be in a way and play and just uh do the things we also would maybe normally do and you know we were also we were really on the road with this car at the same time as we were shooting I mean when we were shooting we were shooting but we were also traveling from A to Z I mean A to B to Z eventually uh, from one country to another with the entire production Um, and so this was also really happening somehow in his life how did you manage that production (laughs) <laughs> you're going through several cities. Yes, we we did yeah travel throughout these three countries. Um, well, you know, I have uh, my two producers, uh, Cecilia Trautwetter and Lisa Rolling, who you know um, organized uh, all the logistics uh, of this, and we had sort of additional crews um, in the different countries. But the the hard sort of uh, I mean, it was 15 to 20 people uh, who were traveling really the whole trip. We were doing the mm-hmm. entire uh, shoot together, and it was a bit like uh, like what Chichi said at the Q and A. It's it was a bit like the circus was coming to town. I mean, we were a bit like a circus caravan going from yeah. <laughs> one place to another. Um, it was very uh, colorful and 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 funny, but also exhausting for all of us. But I it happened. We, we we did it. How long was the shoot? Um, five to it was a block of five to six weeks. I'm amazed that you pulled this off <laughs> with a baby. I think it's the I think it's the baby that you know that m- makes everything just larger um, because he's as I said he's your supporting actor, but he's a baby. There must have been times when he didn't feel like acting. There was, actually, there was only one time where he was just really not in the mood for it. And it was the worst time for him to not be in the mood for it because we, it was a a scene with like, I don't know, 50 extras. And uh, just like everyone was there and everyone was waiting for Lupo. And everyone was ready and the weather was also getting a bit foul and we really needed to get shooting. And Lupo was just waking up from his midday nap and really not in the mood and there was going to be no way uh but <laughs> somehow he came around it took a little bit and a few sweets <laughs> <laughs> no oh. not too many sweets don't worry yeah hey sometimes the you have to have to do what they need to have do to have a little carrots sometimes yeah. um your brother um robin has he acted before yes Okay. Um, he is, um Well, I, I mean, I know I don't I don't know if he's done improv, but he is certainly 
yeah, I would say he's good at that. Uh, but he's, um, I mean, we're both child actors, I guess. I mean, my, our dad was a theater director, and we also we both bathed in that sort of uh, milieu and uh, um, did quite a bit of acting uh, and mainly theater acting. Uh, but also some films here and there. But uh, neither of us chose that as our, you know, line of work, like uh, professionally as a career. I mean, I, I direct, and he is um, he's a mass maker for traditional Italian theater, Commedia dell'arte, uh, and makes uh, traditional Italian masks, and uh, also gives workshops to actually direct actors um, um, on how to um, work with masks. Do <laughs> um, you use some drone seating, uh, photography for the scene in France uh, with the car being stopped by the police officer? Yeah, wh what did you say? We, we drone. Drone. It wasn't drone. We were like on the opposite hill oh. with a camera. <laughs> <laughs> with a zoom lens. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. That's quite the feat that you pulled off there. It was uh the there was a lot of work went into the location scouting. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite oh wow, I'm I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed there. Uh who's your cinematographer? He's called Faraz Fashaki. He's a wonderful cinematographer. Um, his uh, he worked also on uh, what do we see when we look at the sky by Alexandre Koberice, and this was um, our third film together. I think we okay. had collaborated before, and I think yeah, um, it was very important that he was there, and he's the one who really came up with a lot of the look for the film, or at least like the idea of shooting on these very special cameras that we used because we shot partially on old um, video cameras from the 90s, like a beta cam and uh, a mini DV, but also on film, so 16 millimeter film. And um, once the film had been edited, we printed everything on 16 millimeter film and then went through color grading. I mean, it's been a very complex process, technically speaking, to reach this look, uh, but it was a risky move and we I'm really thankful to him for you know, embracing this and, and suggesting that we go this way and create this very unique uh, experience, uh, visualist experience for the film. Who are your influences? Oh, <laughs> I think there are so many, but, um, and you know, when you're making a film, you don't consciously think necessarily mm -hmm. about your influences, but of course you recognize them maybe as an aftermath or, or, you know, in general, of course, there are, like, so many filmmakers that I admire and adore or that just, like, give me such a thrill. And John Cassavetes, I guess, uh, is one of the most important ones for mm -hmm. me. But I also, I guess with this film, I thought somehow I did think of Eric Romer, so French New Wave a lot. Um, I mean, I'm a bit of an old soul, so I mean, the 60s in general, 60s and 70s, are definitely always an influence for me, and uh, also Italian cinema, but with this film, maybe a bit less, um, because, yeah, a bit less than with other films. Yeah. I saw a bit of uh, Romer in your film, but I also saw the German director, uh, Doré. Oh. In in your film, okay. are you familiar with her work? Yes, yes, yes. I did not think of it, but uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's a very yeah, that's a it's a nice yeah. nice thought. It's like I thought your film was refreshing and 
I've I've missed this kind of film where you you know you're you're traveling along. It seems spontaneous. Of course, it's not spontaneous because you know it it it's scripted. But I've missed people just being people <laughs> on screen, and you know there's there's no huge trauma. It's just everyday life and, yes. and a journey that people are on. And I really appreciate you um, doing this film. Thank you so much. I'm and glad. I'm really happy to hear that. So has uh, has Lupo signed a contract <laughs> with anyone? Is he going to be doing any future <laughs> films? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're waiting. We'll see. <laughs> what so he how like. did he react when... Um, when the five weeks were over and um oh he was like i want to go to work what is going on here you're are you kidding me i have to go back to kindergarten no way <laughs> <laughs> every day he was like i'm ready to go to work can we go to farah's mommy can we go to farah's please i want to go to the camera and uh put on my costume but um yeah told him maybe someday in the future we can do that again but <laughs> for now it was uh it was all Done and just How as many well. languages does he understand? Four. He speaks four languages. So he does speak four. And you grew up also speaking many languages. Yes, I did. Like I, I mean, I'm I'm French and Italian originally, um, but I've spent now quite a long time living in Germany. So um, German is obviously a language that I speak fluently. But I also grew up speaking English because I went to an American school in France, and then I lived in the United States and studied there as well and mm -hmm. uh, so English is obviously sort of a sort of first language for me and Lubo's dad who's also the film's music composer Ben Rosler he is German and English and so Lupo grows up with the four languages yeah I heard some English from Lupo in there as well but it makes sense <laughs> you should not <laughs> you should not have spotted that <laughs> yes okay it, do it doesn't matter because um because Arthur and Diana speak many languages, yes, so yes, why shouldn't so English one be one exactly. of that one of them? Yeah, but so. finally enough, it's the one language that doesn't really make it into the film uh, because it's you know we're going between Germany, France, Italy, and and so these are the three languages of film, and English is kind of missing. But it's true that Lupo uh, here and there yeah, it just tends makes to sense. he has a few words here and there. He's yeah. a two-year-old. He makes it, he he does he did at the time very much so tended to mix them all up. Yeah, exactly. Sort of sentences and, and four languages. That makes sense for his character, and that's what he did. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he yes. says, Mom, I'm going to go very method, and <laughs> I'm going to mix all the languages exactly. here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Sarah, thank you so much for doing this interview. Thank you. How's your time been at TIFF? It's been very uh, full and uh, wonderful also. You know, it's been great. It's been great. We had um, all our screenings already, and the audience was very responsive, and we had very nice Q&As and full rooms, and, uh, and it was great. And uh, Lupo did a little show on stage during the Q&A. He was oh, very proud of himself. <laughs> <laughs> he had a great time. <laughs> How old is he now? He's now four, He's actually. Now four. Okay, yes. the four-year-old at the Q and A. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I've had it full time because I'm. So he's here with me, obviously. So is Robin, and uh, but I'm also here with my baby, my new baby, who's two and a half months. So it's ah. yeah, very full time, all in all. Film family. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Family enterprise. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that was my interview with director Sara Suma about her film, 
Arthur and Diana. I hope you enjoyed it. And one of the things that I liked about the film is talking to Sara about being a visual filmmaker and how the movie called to her, called it into being that she had to make this autofictional story. And um, the mix of German, French, and Italian was also a beautiful part of the film, as is her son, Lupo. Leaving you now with a couple of tracks, jazz tracks. The first you'll hear is The Colors of October by Alex Bird. And the CD's called Whiskey Kisses, Alex Bird and the Jazz Mavericks. And then you'll hear from Dion Taylor. And this track is called A Beautiful Friendship from the CD, Open Your Eyes. Thank you so much for listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G. Enjoy these tracks. Well, that sky was bright and blue, but harder than the skies of June. And a coolness in the breeze Like a common winter tease But you walked away instead And those colors of October Were yellow, orange and red Well, that church in Montreal Rang out the stroke of twelve But like those pigeons in the square I didn't notice, I didn't care Cause all the pretty leaves are dead And those colors of October Are yellow, orange and red Well, my friends, they like to tell me It gets easier with time But that calendar, it never changes It's that same day in my mind As you turned and walked ahead All those colors of October They were yellow, orange, and red Well, that brightness in the sky Brought out the deep blue in your eyes What a summer love, they say Can't keep those winter blues away Cause all the pretty Leaves are dead And those colors of October Are yellow, orange and red
Well, I'm back in Montreal. It's that same day in the fall, and I see you everywhere, but you're not. You're not really there. So I'll hold this dream instead. All the colors of October, all yellow, orange, and red. Well, my friends, they like to tell me it gets easier with time, but that calendar it never ever changes, 'cause it's that same day. In my mind, as you turned and walked ahead, all those colors of October were yellow, orange, and red. As you turned and walked ahead, all those colors of October were yellow. Is the end of a beautiful friendship. It ended a moment ago. This is the end of a beautiful friendship. I know for your eyes told me so. We. Like sister and brother, until tonight when we looked at each other, that was the end of a beautiful friendship and the beginning of love. That was the end of a beautiful friendship. It ended a moment ago. Oh, that was the end of a beautiful friendship. I know, for your eyes told me so. We were always like sister and brother until tonight. Each other.